before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of The Endgame featuring my co-host Bill Fleckenstein and our very special guest Judy Shelton, who was nominated by President Donald Trump to the board of the Federal Reserve in 2019, enduring a torturous approval process before coming up just a couple of votes short in what was a hugely partisan vote. However, the FOMC's loss is our gain as Judy is now free to talk about central bank policy, the options available to policymakers and their failings over the years in a candid, and open fashion, something she did with extraordinary and remarkable frankness in this wonderful conversation. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and my new series Shifts Happen featuring Luke Groman is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get access to both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, If you enjoy what you hear on the show and you want more high-quality content like it, then please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, on with the show. Judy, welcome. We're so pleased that you found the time to chat with us on The Endgame. Thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. I really appreciate your being interested in my views. Well, Bill and I have gone backwards and forwards trying to figure out the end game. And by that, what we're really trying to get at, I guess, is how the evolution from this monetary regime to whatever comes next occurs. And we have no idea what it is, but it just feels as though we're reaching the end of a cycle. And with all the views we've had, the one thing that's been missing has been someone who really understands from the inside the central banking community in which you've lived and breathed. So, We're both delighted to have the chance to talk to you about that and get this perspective from the other side of the fence. Well, it will be enjoyable for me to think in that context of being part of that world in one sense, but also very interested in in the end game, Uh, not so much as a cyclical thing, but maybe we're reaching the end of an epic in terms of central banking being seen as the the right way to provide a monetary foundation for market-based economies. Judy, I'd like to maybe just jump into the deep end of the pool. You've seen a lot of evolution in the thought process and the practicing of central banking from gold standard to almost MMT, which is, I don't think the pendulum can swing a whole lot wider than those two outcomes. And I guess one of the really uh, pressing questions is, is there a way for the central banks to try to get back to some sort of sanity, even if it's not a, you know, a gold standard, but get away from the sort of the, the seat of the pants process that seems to be at work where we've had two, maybe three bubbles and QE and all of that. Is it possible to get from here back to some semblance of sanity? without having a train wreck in between, if that's not too loaded of a question? Uh, I think that's, that's the big question. And uh, you really framed it well. 
to talk about um, a gold standard as a form of an international monetary system versus um, near <laughs> MMT, as you say, where government debt doesn't seem to matter, balanced budgets don't seem to matter, uh, central bank printing of money doesn't seem to matter, or at least there was a sense that maybe we can get away with all that without having any kind of fiscal or monetary discipline. I have long focused, I would say, on both theory and reality. Theory is more fun <laughs> because you don't have the constraints of dealing with what you just asked. If, if you look at the status quo approach that, that we all have now, it's ludicrous. I mean, look at, look at the um, press conference last week. The head of the most important central bank in, in the world, Jay Powell, sort of accidentally responds to the question from Steve Leisman of CNBC about whether he was considering 75 basis point increase, which had been floated by other members of the Monetary Policy Committee, the FOMC. And he said, oh, well, that's not being actively considered. Oh, man, that blew up everything. Now, suddenly, um, the Fed is dovish instead of hawkish. And I think if, if the whole global economy, which is so linked to U.S. monetary policy, let alone our own domestic economy, depends on whether they are considering 75 actively, whatever time period that means, versus 50 basis points, this is, this is impossible. And yet, that was discussed in the most serious way in all the following days and continues to be. We have um, a crazy relationship between the Federal Reserve and the Treasury, where the Fed buys basically the, the debt that reflects congressional overspending, puts it in its portfolio, takes the returns off that portfolio and gives them back to Treasury. What people now say is, oh, they're raising rates. What they're doing is lifting two specific rates. And one is the rate that the Fed pays to commercial banks, to depository institutions, to keep their reserves sitting there doing nothing. It's almost extortion. Here's what we will pay you, and now we're going to increase it, to keep that money sitting in your reserve account, not buying anything, not investing in anything, completely sterile. And that is about 3.9 trillion. The other rate, when they raise the rate, is 10 basis points less than that. And that's the rate they pay on overnight reverse repurchase agreements. That's another 1.8 trillion. So the Fed is paying hedge fund managers and banks interest to keep that money out of the real economy. And we're talking 5.7 trillion. That money that the Fed has been able to pay, that has to come out of their portfolio earnings. But now it's going to start to eat them all up. If they even get up to, to 3% on reserves, if reserves hadn't gone down very much, um, that's going to eat up the 120 billion that last year they gave to Treasury. So at some point, probably in the next year, the Fed would have to go to Treasury and say, you have to give us approval to pay banks, about a third of them are foreign-owned banks, not to make loans. 
And all of this is supposed to help us be dealing with a supply problem, which is really what's causing the inflation right now. I guess I'll just sum up by saying the Fed's only policy option, its only real tool is to kill demand by raising interest rates. But it's also killing supply because now people who maybe would have been willing to start companies to increase production, to expand output, to meet that increased demand for more supply are unable to. And meanwhile, people who are still in business producing something, goods or services, they're going to have higher borrowing costs. That is an additional cost of doing business that has to end up in the retail price of whatever they sell to the public. That is not a way to defeat inflation. So I'm just sad that this is what it has come to, that central banking, to me, is not solving our problems, but now they're locked into proving that they're going to channel Paul Volcker. But I know, well, Paul Volcker was a very good friend, and um, he would be the first to say that this sort of inflation is nothing like what he was contending with, and the Fed's tools are nothing like he was using at the time that he addressed inflation early in the Reagan years. Judy, that's beautifully put. I'd love to use that, uh, actually, as a framework to ask a question that's kind of foundational to me in trying to understand this whole thing. And that is, you've just laid out, as I say beautifully, the exact problems that we're facing. And for us on the market-facing side of the fence, you know, we look at the world and we look at central bank reaction functions, we look at central bank policy, and we see exactly the world you've just described. And so the difficult thing, I think, for anybody who's a practitioner in markets is to just sit back and say, what don't they get? Because the solutions to what you've just laid out are fairly clear. Now, they're they're painful in the extreme, particularly in the short term, but they clear a path to real fundamental growth and prosperity once again. So so what is it that stops the central banks making these difficult decisions? Is Is it fear? Is it politics? What is it that keeps them from implementing the rather obvious solutions to the problem you just laid out so eloquently? Well, speaking of Paul Volcker, I remember quite a long time ago, it must have been in the mid-90s, I think it was the 50-year anniversary of of Bretton Woods. And we did a two-hour interview um, for a publication. And afterward, we were just talking. He said what he had come to believe is that people accept the mystique of central banking and therefore central bankers are required to maintain the illusion that they know better than market participants, than than even political leaders, what can be done to save the economy. So when there's a, a, a moment of crisis he said, it's, it's wrong-headed, but people think we have a plan. They think we know what needs to be done. And he said, and, and it's a falsehood, but the fact that they believe in this falsehood is the only thing that actually saves the situation. If they knew that the people making decisions at the Federal Reserve really didn't know anything more about what could happen 
than, than any other market observer, there would be true panic. But so long as the head of the Fed can be reassuring and say we have Full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.